Hey guys, it's me, Ishita, and today we're gonna be starting the 10th chapter, The Great Shooting Party. As soon as the doctor had driven away from the filling station, I went into the office and got the sign that said, Sorry, closed. I hung it on one of the pumps. When I headed straight for the caravan, I was too tired to undress. I didn't even take off my dirty old sneakers. I just flopped down on my bunk and went to sleep. The time was five minutes past eight in the morning. More than ten hours later, at 6.30 in the evening, I was woken up by the ambulance men bringing my father back from the hospital. They carried him into the caravan and laid him on the lower bunk. Hello, Dad, I said. Hello, Danny. How are you feeling? A bit woozy, he said, and he's dozed off almost immediately. As the ambulance men drove away, Dr. Spencer arrived and went into the caravan to look at the patient. He'll sleep until tomorrow morning, he said. Then he'll be wake up feeling fine. I followed the doctor out to his car. I'm awfully glad he's home, I said. The doctor opened the car door, but he didn't get in. He looked at me very sternly and said, When did you last have something to eat, Danny? Something to eat? I said, um, oh, well, I had, uh, suddenly I realized how long it had been. I hadn't eaten anything since I had my supper with my father the night before. That was nearly 24 hours ago. Dr. Spencer reached into the car and came out with something huge and round wrapped in a greaseproof paper. My wife asked me to give you this. He said, I think you'll like it. She's a terrific cook. He pushed the package towards me, then he jumped into the car and drove away quickly. I stood there clasping the big round thing tightly in my hands. I watched the doctor's car as it bent down the road and disappeared round the curve. And after it had gone, I stood still there watching the empty road. After a while, I turned and walked up at the steps into the caravan with my precious parcel. I placed it in the center of the table, but I didn't unwrap it. My father lay on the bunk in a deep sleep. He was wearing hospital pajamas. They had brown and blue stripes. I went over and gently pulled back the blanket to see what they had done to him. Hard white plaster covered the lower part of his leg and a hole of his foot, except for the toes. There was a funny little iron thing sticking out below his foot, presuming for him to walk on. I covered him again and returned to the table. Very carefully, I now began to wrap the greaseproof paper from around the doctor's present. When I had finished, I saw before me the most enormous and beautiful pie in the world. It was all covered over tops and sides with rich golden pastry. I took a knife from the bedside the sink and cut out a wedge. I started to eat in my fingers standing up. It was a cold meat pie. The meat was pink and tender with no fat or gristle in it and there was hard boiled eggs buried like treasures in several different places. The taste was absolutely fabulous. When I finished the first slice, I cut another and ate that too. God bless Dr. Spencer, I thought. And God bless Mrs. Spencer as well. The next morning, on Monday, my father woke up at 6 o'clock. I feel great, he said. He started hobbling around the caravan to test his leg. It hardly hurts at all, he said. I can walk you to school. No, I said. No, you have never missed one yet, Danny. It's just two miles each way, I said. Don't do it, Dad, please. So that day, I went to school, uh, but he insisted on coming with me the next day. I couldn't stop him. He had a woolen sock over his plaster foot to keep his toes warm and there was a hole in the underneath of the sock so that the metal thing could poke through. He walked a bit stiff legged but he moved as fast as ever and the metal thing went clink on the road each time he put it down.
and saw life at the filling station return to normal or anywhere nearly to normal. I say nearly because things were definitely not quite the same as they had been before. So the life became at the filling station returned to normal or anywhere nearly to normal. I say nearly because things were definitely quite the same as they had been before. The difference lay in my father. A change had come over him. It wasn't a big change, but it was enough to make me certain that something else was worrying him quite a lot. He would brood a good deal and there would be silence between us, especially at the supper time. Now and again, I would see him standing alone and very still out in the front out of the link station, gazing up on the road in the direction of Hazel's wood. Many times I wanted to ask him what was the trouble and I had done so. I'm sure he would have told me at once. In any event, I knew that sooner or later I would hear all about it. I hadn't waited too long. About 10 days after his return from hospital, the two of us were sitting out on the platform of the caravan watching the sun go down behind the big trees on the top of the hill across the valley. We had a supper, but it wasn't in my bedtime yet. The September evening was warm and beautiful and very still. You know what makes me so hoping, hopping mad? He said to me all of a sudden. I get up in the mornings feeling pretty good, then about 9 o'clock every single day, the huge silver rotors come swishing past the filling station and I see the great bloated face of Mr. Victor Holt behind the wheel. I always see it. Can I help it? As he passes by, he always turns his head in my direction looks at me. That's the way he looks me at, so that's infuriating. There's a sneer under his nose and a smug little smirk under his mouth. And although I see him for three seconds, it makes me madder than miracle. What's more, I stay mad for the rest of the day. I don't blame you. I said. A silence fell between us. I waited to see what was coming next. I'll tell you something interesting, he said a lot. The shooting season, the shooting season was the season starts on Saturday. Do you know that? No, Dad, I didn't. It always starts on the 1st of October, he said, and every year Mr. Hazel celebrates the occasion by giving a grand opening day shooting party. I wonder what that had to do with my father being madder than him. Mackerel, but I knew for certain there would be a connection somewhere. It is a very famous event, Danny, that shooting party of Mr. Hazel's. Do lots of people come here? As hundreds, they say. They come from miles around. Dukes and lords, barons and baronets, wealthy businessmen and all fancy folks in the country. They came and with their guns and their dogs and their wives and all day long the knives of shooting rolls across the valley. But they didn't came because they like Mr. Hayes secretly all despise them. They think he's a nasty piece of work. Then why do they come here? Because it's the best peasants shoot in the south of England. That's why they come. But to Mr. Hazel, it's the greatest day in a year and he's willing to pay almost anything to make it success. He spends a fortune on those peasants. Each summer he buys hundreds of young birds from the peasant farm and puts them in the wood where the keepers feed them and guard them and fatten them ready for the great day to arrive. Do you know, Danny, that's the cost of rearing and keeping one single peasant up to the time when it's ready to shoot is equal to the price of 100 loaves of bread? It's not true. I swear it, my father said, but to Mr. Hazel's worth any penny of it. Do you know why? It makes him feel important. For one day in the year, he comes big cheese in a little word, and even the Duke of so-and-so slaps him on the back and tries to remember his first name when he says goodbye. My father reached out a hand and scratched the hard plaster just below his left knee. It itches, he said. 
The skin itches underneath the plaster. So I scratch the plaster and pretend I'm scratching the skin. Does that help? No, he said, it doesn't help. But listen, Danny. Yes, Dad. I wanted to tell you something. He started scratching right away again at the plaster. I waited for him to go on. I wanted to tell you that I would dearly love to do right now. Here it comes, I thought. Here comes something big and crazy. I could tell something big and crazy was coming simply from watching his face. It was a deadly secret, Danny. He paused and looked carefully all around him. And although it was probably not a living person within two miles of us at the moment, he now leaned close to me and lowered his voice to a soft whisper I would like. He whispered to find a way of poaching so many peasants from Hazel's wood that there wouldn't be left any for the big opening day on the shoot of Dad, I cried, no, shh, he said, listen, if only I could find a way of knocking off a couple of hundred birds all in a go, then Mr. Lee would be highest watching in the 200, I said, that's impossible, just imagine, Danny, he went on, what a triumph, what a glorious victory that would be, all the dukes and lords and famous men would arrive in the big cars, and Mr. Hazel would strut about like a peacock and welcoming them and saying, like plenty of word out there for you this year, lot. Thistle, this wait, and my dear Sir Godfrey, this is a great season for pheasants, a very great season indeed. Then out would go over the guns under their arms and would take up to the position surrounding a famous word. And inside the word, a whole army of higher beaters would start starting and yelling and bashing away at the undergrowth to drive the pheasants out of the word towards the waiting guns. And lo, behold, there wouldn't be a single peasant to be found anywhere. And Mr. Victor Hazel's face would be redder than a boiled beetroot. Now, wouldn't that be the most fantastic, marvelous thing if we could pull it off, Danny? My father almost got so worked up that he rose to his feet and hobbled down the caravan and started pacing back and forth in front of me. Wouldn't it, though, he shouted. Wouldn't it be terrific? I said. Yes, but how, he cried. How could it be done? There's no way, Dad. It's hard enough getting just two birds up on those woods, let alone 200. I know that, my father. It's the keepers that make it so difficult. How many are there? I asked. Keepers? Three, and they are always around. Do they stay right through the night? No, not through the night, my father. They go off their own as soon as the peasants are safely in the trees roosting, but nobody's ever discovered a way of poaching a roosting peasant, not even my mom, dad, who was the greatest expert in the world. It's about your bedtime, he added. Off you go, and I'll come in to tell you a story. So this was all about the chapter. Then I hope you like it. The story that Mrs. Uh, the the father of Danny is going to tell him will be interesting, and the name is Sleeping Beauty. Okay, so I'll meet you in the next chapter. Don't 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 forget to follow and click on the follow button and share to all your friends. Till then, I take you in the next chapter. Bye. <music>